Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, June 21st, and the Tour de France starts this weekend. So today's episode is going to be dedicated pretty much in its entirety to talking through everything you need to know to be a proper Tour de France fan. We're going to talk about the route. We're going to talk about... The contenders, we're going to talk about who this race might be for, who it works for, who it doesn't, all kinds of stuff. And then we're going to make some of our own picks at the end of the show today. Uh, And then we're going to talk about those picks at the end of the Tour de France and see who is the most wronger, least wronger, who gets it wrong, who gets it right. We'll apply points. uh, And this is where everyone's Cycling Tips bonuses are going to come from at the end of the year. So y'all better try hard. We've got our usual crew with us here to talk Tour de France. Abby, Mickey, how are you? Up in Lafayette where it's hot. Hello. It's hot. Yes. Well, it's going to be cooler when you get to the start of the tour this weekend. Shadi Dave, still uh, with with the busted wing. How are you? I'm good. Just... Hoping this shoulder's going to heal relatively soon because we've got a baby on the way any day now. So I'd like to hold it when it does come along rather than sort yeah. of fumble with it. You could do sort of like the football carry, right? Sort of the run with the one hand. That's American football. That'd be a handball be in your football, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I followed football, I'd know about that, Dane. <laughs> James, how are you from your uh, your little coffee shop today? Uh, my allergies are going insane right now. Oh, there is so much stuff floating around in the air down here on the front range at the moment. It's it's nuts. I, I just went for a not you know not not ridiculous four hour ride yesterday, and like my body feels fine, my head feels terrible. Oh, uh, no fun, no fun. Dane Cash, how are your allergies? Uh, surprisingly okay. I, I also am usually in the bad allergy camp, but they've been mercifully not not awful the past few days. So. James must be getting all of it. Well, I was camping this weekend too. That may they, that may have contributed. Sleeping outside do will do that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get into the show today. But before we do, shoddy Dave, what are we learning about Continental this week? As always, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Okay, anyone who has remotely paid attention to the World Tour racing this year knows. How many wins Ineos Grenadiers have racked up? And if you've been paying attention to this podcast, you'll know that the Grenadiers ride Conti tyres or Continental tyres. So it stands to reason that if you want to ride one of the winningest tyres around, there's only really one choice. Yep, get those GP5000s wrapped around your rims. Whether you're riding rim brake or disc, we're not going um, to judge here. We might a little bit. Well, a little bit, but not a lot. All right, a lot, but not a little bit. All right, whether whether you're riding rim brakes or disc, whether your team, no tube or tube inside, tan walls or black, 23 to 32, the award-winning Continental GP5000 is without a doubt the tyre of choice. Maybe you'll win as much as the Ineos Grenadiers. It's unlikely, but you never know. (laughs) <laughs> you just have a nice plush ride. You do never know. The, the the difference between you and Garrett Thomas could just be your tires. Yeah, you never and that know. and your Welshness. You never know. 
Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Shadi, and thank you, Continental, for sponsoring this week's episode. Can I just say, we have we got a tech team on the team this, on the tour this year? Because I'm. Can we ask them to run around the pits or as close to the pits as possible and see who's running Continental tires and who's not, like officially? We can absolutely do that. We're going to have Ronan on the ground and our head of video, Phil Golston, will be on the ground this week, uh, both doing tech stuff all week. Granted, it's a little bit more difficult this year, uh, as last year, to actually get any tech content because, well, they're not allowed into the paddock. What? So we've given them very long zoom lenses, and they're going to hide you know, from up above and... Visit hotels and things like that. We, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll sort you, Jody. We can also just go through race photos and tell everybody what who's riding what tires. We could do that as well. All right. Well, as promised, today is the Tour de France preview show. So where do we want to start? I was perusing through the course over the last week or so kind of preparing myself to think about the Tour de France and write about the Tour de France and pay attention to the Tour de France and and have, you know, intelligent thoughts about this bicycle race. And my sort of overarching reflection on the Tour route this year is it's it's pretty old school. It feels like we're back in, I don't know, 2002, 1995, Jean-Marie LeBlanc, like longer stages again, Tons of time trial kilometers. We got 58 kilometers of time trialing. It it does feel like we're sort of after a couple of years where the Tour de France has stepped into this new new era. It feels like we've gone back a bit. I feel like it it's old school, like 2013, because the, we're never going back to 13? like 100 right. time trial K. You know, and that's a real bummer for for basically most <laughs> of the, the top riders right now happen to also be really good at time trials. I, I would expect they would have loved. A 1995 Tour de France with a boatload of TT kilometers, but for now, for the you know 2020s, I guess no one wants to do that many TT kilometers. No one. I don't know, if you're Primus Roglic, you probably are totally fine with that, or Gary Thomas for that matter. I mean, those guys like TTs, but yeah, no for now, for for the 2020s, it is a pretty old school route. They they, it's strange because it seemed like they were really going all in on the whole short hilly stages thing. It worked really well for them for. For two years there, I'm a little surprised that they've kind of gone back to long stages, big mountain climbs, basically everything you just said. I'm, I'm surprised about that. I just love how you think 2013's old school. Oh, I don't. I'm <laughs> saying that that's just, that's about as old, because really old school, you know, we'd be doing a lot more. Miguel Indurain would have would have liked it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, we're not all the way back really to the 90s. It just felt like we were trending back that direction Definitely. this year, right? I mean, it is. It, it's it's a, it's a it's a distinct departure from the last few years, which it kind of could go either way, right? There there's still a bunch of very interesting stages. We're going to we're going to talk about some of the key stages in, in a bit, but there's a bunch of sort of very interesting stages nonetheless. There's a, a double Mont Ventoux day, for example. Uh there's still some some cool stuff. There's just it feels a little bit classic. So I'm interested to see how that sort of impacts the racing, whether some of the super exciting racing we've had over the last two years, whether that reverses itself a little bit, whether that 58K of time trials has a dramatic impact. You know, Dane, we've talked a lot on the pod before about how TTs can kind of inspire climbers to go do their thing, right? So that's also a possibility. We could see that maybe. Uh, 
you know, the riders that are not Primoz Roglic may have to go try to do something. That said in the past, it hasn't tended to work all that well. So let's kick this, this real preview off here with a look at the route, at the stages of this Tour de France. We're not going to go through every single stage. Uh, that would take too long. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to be. This is not a three-hour podcast, so we're not going to go through every single stage. We're going to talk about the key stages, the ones that are either very important for the GC battle or that we think are just going to be particularly interesting for some other reason. These are the stages that you want to make sure you tune in for. So, Dane, what is our first key? stage I, I do feel like you should turn in tune in for the first stage of the tour even though it's not going to be a key gc stage the tour starts in Brittany, uh and we're going to have a few as as often is the case there will be a few days that won't have big gc implications it'll be a little bit hilly actually so there could be some non-sprinters winning uh they're going to climb the mur de Bretagne on the second day of the race but the real uh, the big first big gc day should come on stage five which is the first of the two time trials in the race uh it's a 27.2k time trial Mostly flat, so it should suit the guys who are really good at time trialing. Uh, it, it's going to, I think, we're going to have some gaps. Uh, it's, it's, you know, 27.2K is not going to be five-minute gaps. Um, but we're, we're going to see, yeah, we're going to see riders, I think, losing some time, gaining some time. And it, I think the, the big three, top three favorites for the race going in are going to enjoy that, that day. We'll get to the favorites in a bit. Uh, but maybe Julian Alaphilippe as well. Um, which, by the way, could be a reason why the organizers have decided time trials are cool again. Because uh, Alaphilippe is pretty good at them. So, yeah. Anyway, t- stage five, I think, will be the first big GC day. Uh, the race just kind of heads east from, from Brittany after after starting. And we go for a time trial. And, and then we get some hillier stages. And then all of a sudden, uh, stage eight, things get hard. Uh, they're going to go up the Col de Colombier, uh, finish at Le Grand Bonneau. And it's going to be... Not the, not the hardest day of the race, but it's going to kind of come after some hilly stages and, and then we're in the mountains. And it's going to be, I think, a, a, an opportunity for, as we say, literally every year, the tour won't be won there. But, you know, if you're not in good shape, you might lose a lot of time. That that one that's finished is at the Le Grand Bonnet. I know there's definitely a lot of teams that have been looking at that recently. Like Chris Froome has just spent probably close to two weeks in the area. Um, it's been all over Strava, if you keep an eye on that. And then also AG2R recently, they're just two of the teams that I've known that have uh, spent a bit of time in the area, so they're definitely looking at that stage as well. Oh, before you move on, I reckon Brest's going to be blooming awesome, Dane. Dane, I'm disappointed you brushed over it. I've just looked at the weather, and Sunday's going to be a little bit grim. And if, if it's grim if it's grim up there, it's grim. No matter if it's a little bit grim or very grim, it's just grim. <laughs> there's been a there's been a, the tour has started up that direction a couple times in recent years, and uh, my, my most distinct memory of covering the last time we started up in the in the northwest of France was uh, just wearing a puffy coat with a raincoat over top of it in July. That was my my overarching memory. It being like fifty degrees and pissing rain the entire time we were up there. There's so many lovely places of of France, and for bike racing, I guess it's a good one up there. It's the best place in France to race bikes. Before we just skip over the whole first week here, it is worth mentioning, uh, of course, that La Course, the the women's one day, is also happening over that first weekend. We're gonna talk about La Course in more depth 
later in the show, but I just wanted to let people know that we are not skipping over it. We're giving it its own section later in the episode. I don't really have a whole lot to say about uh, the first week in the Alps. Uh, there's a couple places early on that are there. They could be potential GC traps, basically potential for crosswinds, potential for those are sort of tricky finishes and things like that. Dane, as you say, we've said this a million times, places where you can lose the tour, but probably not win it. Also places that are potentially springboards for, you know, early race stage hunters. Uh, we've heard from a couple big names saying that they are really focused on getting stage wins in that first week. Uh, I think that it's the kind of first week where if you get a super strong rider, uh, you know, a, a Vanderpool or something like that into the yellow jersey, he potentially hangs onto it for, for quite some time. Um, even maybe likely through that time trial if if sufficiently motivated. And it is, it's it's a it's a relatively long way to the first kind of real serious mountains. We're gonna we're you know, we're talking a full week into the race before we get to the real serious mountains. Uh that doesn't mean that first week I don't, I don't, it's not gonna be boring. There's gonna be plenty going on. There's there's very there's few sort of just big long transition flat stages in that first week. And then we yeah, we get to the Alps and a couple classics. Shoddy, as you said, all the, the big name riders have been doing lots of recon up there. I think that most of the focus from my perspective on this tour is going to be on the Pyrenees. I think that's really where this, this race is going to be made. But you can't discount the Alps and you can't discount the need to be riding well there because there are going to be a number of, of pretty brutal stages. The, the Grand Bornon one is, is, is nasty. Uh, following that, we head south. And is there any any of those sort of transition stages worth chatting about, Dane? Well, Im- immediately after stage eight, up, you're going to have stage nine where they're going to go up uh, to Tinya, which is going to f- there's going to be an ore category climb uh, and a Cat One climb, sort of in the second half of that stage. Uh, that that should be a tough one. They're they're going to get a day to kind of regroup after that, and then stage eleven. Uh, I guess they'll also have the rest day there, so so two days to regroup. But stage eleven will be. Pretty challenging uh, because going up Mont Ventoux one time is pretty challenging, and as as you've already mentioned, they're going to go up Mont Ventoux two times, which is a lot of times to go up that climb. And they're gonna it's not going to finish atop the climb; it's gonna there's gonna be a descent off the top of Mont Ventoux to finish. Uh, so that should be a very interesting day. We could get uh, we could get some action there, and and I would love to see what happens on that descent because you know as steep as it is going up, it's also pretty darn steep going down. So I recently. Uh, I just booked my hotels for right around there and got one sort of right near the base of Vantu and uh, actually right near the finish, Malison. And I just did a quick, I was like, oh, maybe that morning, maybe that morning I'll wake up and try to ride Vantu. And I did a quick Strava and I like mapped it out, right? And you know how Strava gives you the, the estimated time for the loop? It estimated that one loop, which they're doing twice, was going to take me four hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> You're going to have to get so up pretty that, early for that ride. I'd have to get up pretty early for that one. I'm not sure how accurate that was, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> I think it's it's worth noting that that particular stage would probably take me nine hours <laughs> to complete. Ah, it's going to be a good one. I I would say this is my favorite stage of the entire race. I just think it's, it's I mean, a double von two, just the, the audacity of that is is fantastic it's going to be so 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 hard uh the descent off the backside of Vantu down into Malison 
is something that we don't usually see in the tour. Generally, they they finish atop uh, atop Vontu. It's a really it's a pretty tricky descent. It's a super fast descent, uh, and then you kind of loop around, and there's one little bump, and then you go back up Vontu again. So I'm super excited for that stage. If there is one stage in this entire bike race that you tune into, which granted, if you're listening to this podcast, you're gonna watch more than that, but if there's one stage you're going to tune into, that's the one. I'm in agreement there, which is going to surprise a lot of people who follow me on Twitter because I've always said, Von 2 doesn't excite me at all. It doesn't inspire me. It's one of the, the alpine climbs that kind of bores me. But doing it twice is just going to be absolutely savage. But it's that descent that coming off it, it's a ridiculously fast descent. It's like dangerously fast. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go up it the first time and handle that descent before really kicking it into gear the second time. I think that's going to be a hard one for the Gruppetto too. You know, we like to sort of keep 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 the Gruppetto in mind because uh, a day like that, oh, like, I mean, they're going to come over the top of Vontu the first time, probably, what, a half hour back, and then they have to chase all the way down the backside and then go up it again. That's That's one that, well, we'll talk about Mark Cavendish being at the Tour de France uh, later in the show as well. But that's one that, you know, the sprinters could have some trouble with. That's going to be painful. Yeah, so from there, the race is going to head west, uh, leaving the Alps behind. We're going to head through, well, Nîmes and Carcassonne for a sprint day. But it'll also be, I mean, it's a long, it's a very long sprint day. This is this is what we're talking about with kind of going back to old school. This is a 219.9 kilometer sprint day. That's a lot of... Flat roads. At least they'll have the Maps. the Roman aqueduct uh, and uh, the medieval town of Carcassonne to fly over with the helicopter <laughs> to keep us interested. Um, at least they picked a place that's historic for that otherwise relatively uneventful stage, I would imagine, unless there's wind. Uh, and then can stage... I just jump in there? Sorry, not that that stage. I think is going to be pretty eventful, especially so, like you said, there's going to be a lot of wind. I drove past there. Well, every time we drove over that way, the wind is ridiculously strong. No matter what time of the year you go down there. So that's going to. I reckon that'll be Echelon City that day. And previously at other tours, we've seen that if you get caught out in an Echelon, it can be tore over for you. You can lose minutes and minutes. And yeah, like I say, the wind. Probably 40, 50K outside of Carcassonne is just savage all along there. I'd say it's going to be really hot, almost pretty much guaranteed to be super hot. Be uh, a hairdryer, like riding into a hairdryer on full whack. Yeah. Everybody's belly will be totally full of cassoulet and so won't be particularly ready for those crosswinds. Wait, that's just my belly. My belly will be very full of cassoulet after leaving Carcassonne. This is what I mean, though. Like, this stage kind of on paper you see it on the map and you see oh wow that's a that's a big long stretch from Nîmes to Carcassonne it 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 you know it could be a nap stage it could be a could be a 219 kilometer procession depending on how the peloton wants to deal with it maybe they're all super tired and they and they and they sort of have a little gentleman's agreement and they take a break but it could be chaos and i think that there's a lot of stages like that in this tour de france that kind of when you first first look at them they f- they look kind of old school. They look kind of classic. They look potentially boring, but there is opportunity for some excitement in those stages uh, because of where they are, because of the, the 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 weather in those particular areas, because of some little piece of the route that is going to make it exciting. In this case, I think it's basically heat and wind have the potential to make that stage a good one. 
or you get a four-hour nap in the middle of the day. Uh, that, that, that's the two ways that it's either going to be very exciting or very boring. There is no middle ground on that particular stage. Uh, that, that was stage 13 we were talking about. Stage 14 will be pretty hilly. Stage 15, they're going to head into Andorra, where they will take on some pretty tough climbs and descents as well. That should be a pretty good day uh, of, of mountainous racing. Uh, there's a rest day after that. And then we get the final week, which starts off with a, sta- a stage that kind of goes over some, some up and down in a pretty transitional fashion. And then things get hard. <laughs> things get really hard. Stage 17 is going to be a lot of the really hard mountain stages that we've talked about so far are they're, they're stages that have some tough climbs, but then they, they finish on a descent or downhill into a flat finish. But stage 17 is going to be a, a hard climb to the finish. Uh, so first of all, they're going to go over the Pay Resort. Then they're going to go over the Col du Portet. And then they're going to climb to Saint-Larry-Soulin, which is quite high. 2,215 meters. I guess for us here in Colorado, that's not very high. But for people who don't live a mile above sea level, that's pretty high. <laughs> and it's going to be a, a, a really hard climb to get there. Uh, the, the the previous two climbs, well, the, the Col du Portet, I guess, is it's like half the amount of climbing as that final climb. And, and the, that's going to be a lot, I think, in the legs before they even get there. I think it's going to be a pretty, a pretty critical day for the GC here. I think stage 17 could, could be the day where we really see the race uh, decided, if it hasn't already been by you know, crashes and other things like that. Uh, that's, going to be, that's going to be one where I think somebody's going to get a, a pretty hefty advantage. I don't disagree. 100%. Uh, from there, stage 18, also tough. Uh, they're going to leave Poe. And they're going to climb an ore category climb called the Col du Tourmalet. I don't know if you've heard of it. That's a pretty big one. Uh, pretty famous one. And there's an ore category climb to the finish as well. Uh, so that's going to be another really, and you know, coming on the back of, of stage 17, with those two days back to back, I think we're going to have a really decisive kind of two final mountain stages there. Uh, and, and we should get, we should know, I think, where things stand. Uh, but after a, Sprinter-friendly stage 19, the tour has again decided to go with a time trial on the penultimate day. So unlike many years before, we're going to have the the potential for a time trial to upset things on stage 20, which we got last year when I think basically nobody except like, I don't know, Abby thought Pogacar might win that TT. Uh, Most people didn't. And he obviously won the race with that TT as well. We're going to have a potential for that again with a time trial on stage 20, it's 30.8K, not super long, but long enough that it's definitely going to have the opportunity for the, the, the good time trialists to really put some time into the climbers. Uh, and the fact that it's really flat, I think, you know, Kelly talked about this a little bit earlier, the, the climbers are going to see these tough climbing stages on uh, stage 17 and 18, and they're going to say, well, I need to get a lot of time here because Roglic and Pogacar and possibly Gary Thomas are probably going to put in a lot of time uh, on me in that TT. So hopefully that will inspire some activity on the tough climbs. I feel like because of the time trial, yeah, like you said, 16, 17, 18 are going to be such exciting stages to watch because I feel like the GC is going to be decided again in that final time trial that it's like, it's going to be as exciting as last year's time trial, maybe more because well, maybe less because we haven't, we like can anticipate that it's going to be as exciting after the way that last year's finished. But I feel like the length of the time trial and also just the course up to this point means that there's 
going to be a combination of those three mountain stages that are going to be really exciting to watch for the people who aren't great at time trialing. And then kind of for the time trialists to like put their boots on and be like, all right, I'm winning this damn thing today. If it's close. I, I mean, this is, this is my, my fundamental sort of, I don't know if it's a problem with final time trials or, or not, but I mean, it, I guess it's like anything. If the gap is too big, then they don't tend to be particularly exciting, right? Because they, they just feel like processions. Generally, you still have a fight for a podium or something like that to pay attention to. But last year's finish, I mean, that that's generally an anomaly, right? That you get last minute change ups with a final time trial, particularly a super flat one. Uh, anyway, that's a, a personal opinion. I don't, I don't love TTs right at the end of the race. I would have loved it like, just ahead of the mountains or something like that. Uh, you know, put the climbers in the back foot and then make them, make them chase back. That would have been more interesting to me, but it is what it is. And I do think that the potential for a shakeup in that TT is above average. And so that would make it a pretty exciting day. I, w I say, I would like to see at once them to break up sort of the Pyrenees or the Alps, depending if they go clockwise or anti-clockwise with a mid mountain stage time trial like flat mountain flat time trial in the mountain somewhere like looping around a lake or something i was gonna say that i i want a, a straight uphill time trial like like zomanyan giro era like let's just do a time trial up one of these massive massive i i love that i think that's super fun uphill time trial flat time trials i just ah. think it'll it'll yeah. Yeah. You, you can't really judge your legs then. You'd have a hilly stage before, massive hilly stage before, massive hilly stage the day after. You can't take the time trial steady. True. Right. I just, we, we, just need to tell the, we just need to tell the ASO to get on this, sort the route out next year so we can see what actually happens. <laughs> I think we should petition the ASO for a shoddy to make the route. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Back to 400 kilometer stages. We only have seven stages this year. And they're all 427 kilometers. I think that'd be fantastic. That way it would it'd be, it'd be gravel racing. <laughs> so we would have then. All right. So final time trial and then into Paris. Uh, sprint stage, obviously, always a bit of a procession for the GC riders. In fact, if it appears to be anything but a procession for the GC riders, they tend to, well, for example, a couple years ago when it was raining, they took the GC time on entrance to the final laps. And so even if there's rain or something like that or something else that could potentially impact the general general classification, ASO usually makes sure, make sure that that can't happen. We have a big final sprint, which as we wrap up our little route preview here, I think we can transition into talking about some of the riders that are going to be at this bike race. And I want to start with the sprinters because... We're finishing with the shops there. There are, I think, kind of depending on how you slice it and how it's raced, there's probably about eight sprint stages, eight available sprint stages in this Tour de France, which is more than normal. And we have a, as we had the last couple of years, we have kind of a shuffled sprint group, right? The, 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 the names of the top sprinters is kind of shuffling around. We haven't had a super dominant sprinter year over year in quite some time. and just this morning, we found out that last year's dominant sprinter, Sam Bennett, will not be at the Tour de France. Quickstep is taking, Dakuna Quickstep is taking Mark Cavendish to the Tour de France this year. 
and not Sam Bennett. Now, real briefly, there's some sort of there's a little bit of backstory here. One, Sam Bennett is leaving the team at the end of the year. And so possibly a bit of sort of retribution on Patrick Lefebvre's part. Also, he's been talking about knee pain for the last couple of weeks. It's still sort of unclear to us exactly how those two things have been weighed up in his, uh, well, him being left off the tour team. But we've got Fending Green Jersey, winner of a bunch of stages, not at the Tour de France this year. And so kind of an open slate on the sprinter side. Who else, who else could be in the running? Uh, yeah, for me, Caleb Ewan looks like with with Sam Bennett out. I think Caleb Ewan's got a great opportunity to win some Tour de France stages. Uh, he's you know trying to win stages at all three Grand Tours this year, but at the same time, the Tour is his big goal. And I think with Bennett out, I'll be really interested to see what he decides to do in terms of staying through the race and maybe possibly hunting for green even. It's not something that he's talked about a lot. I think just because... With Bennett there and with other riders, you know, Peter Sagan and, and the, any number of other riders. But, you know, now that Bennett's gone, I feel like Caleb Ewan could do a, a lot of work in these sprints uh, to, you know, rack up the wins and possibly, you know, put together a, a decent points challenge. Um, behind Ewan, you got Arno DeMar, Tim Merlier, who has had a great season so far. Uh, Wat van Aert, who just won a Belgian national championship title. And before that, he hadn't raced since the Amstel Gold Race, which he won. And it was like a two-month gap. Uh, but he certainly looks to be in pretty good shape. You don't win the Belgian national title without being in good shape because Belgium has a lot of good bike racers. Uh, and he will probably be doing just what he did last year, winning stages while also, you know, making it to the very top of or category climbs while helping Primus Roglic. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we'll, we should see Lennart up there and uh, he, another rider who, again, that's going to be interesting to see if Jumbo has any interest in... Uh, letting Van Aert kind of push for the, the green jersey. Because, with again, with Sam Bennett gone, it really opens things up. Uh, and then Cavendish, who knows? I mean, he's had a nice last few races. Uh, it, it had been quite a while since we saw him winning anything. And uh, all of a sudden, he really turned it on this year. Going back to quick step, he was, seems to have been invigorated and has found, found the, the ability to win again. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to see him and... See what he can do. Uh, Mess Peterson, another rider. I, I think Trek has a couple of guys, you know, fast finishers, but but Peterson's really stood out in the last few years. So I think, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, how when he won that world title, like, Abby was the only person who was telling us that he was going to do it. And we were like, nah, no way. <laughs> and then he did. And then since then, he's been up there in some, in some pretty big bunch sprints. So I think Peterson's another rider to watch for the sprints as well. I want to return to, to the Cav Bennett thing real quick. Um, it's just a, there's just a bunch of sort of weirdness in the background here, right? Like I mentioned the fact that, that Bennett is leaving the team. We got this sort of knee stuff. <laughs> um, a tweet or a, a quote from Patrick Lefevre, who is the obviously the, the owner manager of that team this morning. Quote, I can't prove he doesn't have knee pain, referring to Sam Bennett. I can't prove he doesn't have knee pain, but I'm starting to think more and more that it's more performance anxiety than just pain. So that's wow. from the boss. That is such a morning. dick move. Like, <laughs> come on. Right? I mean, Patrick Lefebvre has never been afraid to to throw a little shade at somebody who's leaving, right? Because one of the things to remember about Dakota Quickstep is they they actually, it's not a super well-funded team. Uh, they're a, a massively successful team, obviously, the last couple of years they've they've ended the season with the most victories but they're not 
super well-funded. And so they often lose riders just to teams that can pay more. Those riders often get much worse when they leave for, well, you could, you could argue all day about why, but that, that, that often happens. And this appears to be the issue this time as well. Sam Bennett was, has been offered more money elsewhere, and, and Quickstep was unable to match those offers, and so he's going to leave. And so, yeah, Lefebvre's a little bit, a little bit spicy about it. Uh, those quotes, you know, they make for good, for good headline fodder, but it also suggests that there's a little bit more going on in the background here between that selection of Mark Cavendish and Sam Bennett uh, than maybe immediately meets the eye. Now... Our chief Irish correspondent, Ronan McLaughlin. Maybe we'll ask ask Ronan to uh, to find out what's going on because I know he's he's known Sam for a very long time. He raced with Sam it's on the same team. He raced with Sam exactly. They've known each other for ages. So maybe we'll 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 try to get the the real lowdown here. Uh, Ronan is on his way to France tomorrow. Uh, unlike Sam, sorry that was unnecessarily mean. <laughs> Ronan is on his, way, on his way to France tomorrow. We'll shoot some text messages around and see if we can figure out what actually happened here. How much extra do we have to pay Ronan to wear a wire so that we can have an unfiltered conversation with him and Sam Bennett about this? That'd be fantastic. And then just put the whole thing on the podcast? I reckon. Just wait, just wait till the end of the year. I, th- I reckon you won't even need to put a wire on. If there's a, a bit of animosity between Lefebvre and Sam... Might as well, might as well get it all out in the open air at end of the year. Yep, or before then. <laughs> I've just looked up how much yeah. the coin it can actually, uh, how much money they they've got sponsorship wise, and it's eighteen million euros. So it's like middle of the pack for um, a world tour team. Sky somewhere around forty. Yep. Yeah. So 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 basically, they're not really able to buy talent generally. They're they're pretty good at retaining talent. Generally, pretty good at retaining talent. Although, like I said. It's pretty frequent that they lose riders to just teams that are willing to pay more. But, you know, they've been able to hang on to riders like Philippe, and Philippe is certainly expensive. Granted, Philippe is probably gets some of his of his uh, salary paid by other sponsors. But even so, you know, he's not, he's not a cheap rider, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, interest, interesting little backstory there. I thought that quote was spicy <laughs> and i don't think that's the last we will have heard of that particular thing before we before we move on real quick everybody is cav gonna win a stage yes yes i'm gonna say yes no if you look at the map they're visiting four places where Cavs won stages in the past he has had Quite a long break from the Tour de France. Uh, a couple years, he was he didn't get to race it. His last win was in 2016 when he won four stages. But he's riding so well right now. And also the sprinter kind of, once you win one, your mindset moves into a different plane and you can c- continue winning kind of thing. He's on a roll right now this season. He's had a great season. I feel like for him... He seems like he's fueled off of the haters and for him to be able to win a stage and be like, if you guys, you thought I couldn't come back. haha!" I think that that would be well up his alley. Speaking of haters, Dane, the point about the point about, you know, going on a roll and winning a lot is a really good one. I think if he wins one stage, you know, I'll, I'll come on the pod and I'll say that I will probably expect him to win a lot more. Uh, 
that that is often how it works. For me, he just hasn't beaten the. And he hasn't beaten a Caleb Ewan yet. He hasn't beaten a Sam Bennett yet. And I obviously he won't have to beat Sam Bennett at this tour. But the fact that, that the level of talent that he has beaten so far. He just beat Sam Bennett. He already beat Sam Bennett. <laughs> he, did, he did. He beat him in the psychological game. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I would I would be kind of surprised to see him beating a Van Aert or, or Ewan. But once he does, then, yeah, I totally see him potentially winning many stages. I think it's either zero or, or more than one. I reckon we'll have to wait till through to that carcass on stage really. Not, I, I can't see him doing anything in, Bre- in uh, Brittany. And then, no, like, every, oh, Caleb, uh, teams like that are really going to be able to sort of hold things together at Chateau Roux and through to the Alps. And I reckon, like, that Nîmes carcass on stage, like I say, there's loads of win there. It's the sort of stage where De Koinic, with all their skills, could rip it to pieces in the echelons for Cav. And he's got the world's best lead up, man, Michael Markov. So that certainly helps. Uh, he's an absolute wizard. And we know that if Cav is dropped off in the right spot, that he can he can pull it off. I, I'm I'm on team. Cav's going to take one. That's what I think. I think he's going to take at least one stage this Tour de France. Oh, do you know, it'll be absolutely lovely seeing him and Greipel go up against each other. We can we can hope and wish. Kicking it old school. Yeah. Hey, Marcel Kittle was recently seen riding. <laughs> I think it was for a TV ad, not for actual bike racing. But you never know. You never know. Maybe he'll just decide he wants to come back. He'll see what Cavs done and be like, oh, I'll come back to the tour next year. No, probably not. It's not going to happen. All right. That's enough about the sprinters. Like I said, we've got probably eight sprint stages, so they're going to feature heavily this Tour de France. So there's going to be a lot to talk about on the sprint side this month. And for that reason alone, I'm kind of happy that Cav is going to be in, in the race because he always uh, he always creates a bit of drama, always creates a bit of interest, and I think it'll help. A little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little Kev. bit. He'll, I think he'll help yeah. keep this Tour de France spicy throughout. Uh, let's move on to GC contenders. Who do we got, Dane? Well, it's another year without having a... You know, a, a favorite that has better than even odds to win. It's it's a pretty open race, which is great for the Tour de France. We don't always get that at the Tour de France. Uh, I think there are probably three riders that most people are looking at. We've got last year's winner, Tadej Pogacar. We got the guy that everybody thought was going to win last year's race right up until like five minutes before the end of the penultimate time trial. Uh, Primus Roglic, who finished second last year, uh, and the guy who won a few years before that, Garen Thomas. I think is the other of the big three favorites, although he leads up a team full of favorites. We can talk about that in a second. Uh, I think it's going to be, though, in terms of who the race suits, it's, it's going to be one of those riders who is both great at, at climbing and time trialing because there are some time trial kilometers on the route this year. You, you can't just be a pure climber and win this race. Uh, but fortunately for Pogacar and Roglic and Thomas, they are all good at both of those things. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really cool, I think, seeing how three riders with pretty similar skill sets are going to try to play things in this race and, and who who gains time where. Uh, you, you know, even last year into that penultimate stage, Roglic was seen as the, the, the favor for that TT over Pogacar. I mean, Roglic had been second in the world's TT before, uh, but Pogacar beat him pretty handily. So I, I think it's going to be pretty tough to predict of these of these riders, you know, who's going who's gonna to thrive on what kind of stage. Um, and, and each one of them has their own storylines coming in. I mean, Pogacar and Roglic haven't really done a whole lot of racing. At, at least Pogacar did race the Tour of Slovenia, which he won pretty handily. Um, 
Roglic hasn't raced in a while. Uh, both of them decided to skip the Dauphiné and the Tour de Suisse to kind of continue their training, and uh, that that meant we we didn't get to see them up against you know some of the top competition in those big one week races. Uh, and Roglic in particular, we have not seen race since Liège Bastogne Liège in April. So it's really hard to say what kind of form he's in. Um, one of those things where you know if he's not in great form, I I wouldn't be all that surprised just because we have no proof of, of what kind of form he's in. On the other hand, I, I, I kind of think he might win the race. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how all that plays out. It's an interesting course and GC contender relationship for me this year, because usually when we look at sort of the top three riders, there's some differentiation in, in kind of strength and weakness from a climbing versus time trial perspective. And so we look at a time trial at a course like this and say, okay, there's 58 K of TT. It really works for this one guy. It really doesn't work for this other guy. But as you say, all three of, of the sort of top podium contenders in our minds, they're all very, very similar riders this year. And so it's not going to come down to sort of innate, uh, you know, you're better suited for TTs versus climbing or anything like that, which makes, which makes I think, that, that top three really even more difficult to pick. And, and selecting the order of those top three makes it really, really difficult. That said, that you know the course does it doesn't work for a certain uh, segment of of GC contender, and we saw as a result some of those GC contenders I think avoid this Tour de France. Uh, Roman Bardet is is not going to be there, right? He he raced the Giro instead. Uh, some of the some of the guys that are they're more pure climbers. We know that Bardet hates time trialing. They just avoided this this Tour de France entirely, and so most of the most of the GC contenders that are going to be there. They're prepared for it. They're they're good at both of those things, climbing and time trying. That said, you know, I looked down the the sort of list of GC contenders that will make that will make the start this weekend. Simon Yates, not a great course for him. Uh, and so I think he's gonna struggle to to match, you know, some of his best GC rides in the past. Um, you know, <laughs> the whole Movistar team, basically Unric Mas, Valverde, not amazing time trials. Unfortunately, and Miguel Angel Lopez is even worse than that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, Movistar is probably going to basically be a non-factor or or maybe they just go ape on the climbs and they just go for it. But that seems somewhat unlikely. Uh, Shoddy's favorite, Guillaume Martin, not an amazing time trialist. <laughs> but those are all those are mostly kind of secondary contenders anyways. I, I think really most of the primary contenders of this tour, like I said, they're all very similar kinds of riders. And so hopefully that means the gaps are really tight, which means we've got to race all the way to that final TT. I think one team that does have a few of those riders who are uh, more climbing oriented while also having two great time trials. Uh, the Ineos Grenadiers, I think we have to talk about this this team, which they're bringing, which is simultaneously like the strongest tour team we've seen, I think, in a really long time, and also doesn't have the race favorite on it. And that's a pretty unusual kind of combination for that team because they spent so many years bringing the race favorite, but also the strongest team. And this year they've got, they have three Grand Tour winners and a rider who was third at last year's Tour de France on the team. Uh, and yet none of them is is the top overall favorite. You know, Garen Thomas is their, is their best uh, favorite at the moment. But they've also got Richard Carapaz, who is not a bad time trialist. He's a great climber, an excellent climber, but he's not he's not bad in the, in the TTs. Uh, they've got Richie Porte, who just won the Dauphiné and looks awesome from a form perspective and is a great time trialist. And they've got Theo Gegenhardt, who's kind of a wild card right now because we haven't seen him do a whole lot um, 
you know, that far above the competition recently. Uh, he was he was fine at the Dauphiné. Uh, but any one of those riders, it wouldn't be a huge shock to see them contending for the win of this race. And yet, are they going to have it? Are they going to take the 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 aggressive style? I think that would be necessary to kind of take it to Roglic and Pogacar. That remains to be seen. You know what I want Enios to do next year? I want them to bring six leaders. That's what I want. Or maybe you, More you, could, you could say seven. If you if you if you include Danny Martinez in that group, you could have seven leaders and like Luke Rowe or something. Like one guy that is just the the you know he rides in the front whenever they need someone to ride in the front. How great would that be? Just bring seven GC guys because you could have Carapaz, Bernal, Port, Yates, Thomas, Gegenhart, and if you want to include him, Martinez. That's that's seven. Did I count that right? Seven GC contenders in one Tour de France. Why stop at seven? They have the money. They should just get an eighth one. Just just stack the whole deck. Yeah, just just launch them up the road at every available opportunity. I think it'd be fantastic. Not just have all of them working for Luke Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. Uh, that'd be that'd be fantastic. It, it is. It's gonna be. It's going to be an interesting one. You know, when, when I still think at that team, you know, the primary GC guy is, is Egan Bernal, right? And they send him to the Giro. He wins the Giro. He probably is back at the Tour de France next year. So if you are the rest of that team right now, you're probably also thinking, okay, this is this is kind of the last opportunity to for a couple of years to really kind of come at this with, okay, we're going to have the Trident style or the fork, the, the four-person fork. Uh, this is an opportunity for all those riders to to, to you know, ride with... GC ambition and not really have to work for anybody else. That said, like we've said a couple different times, I still think that internally there's there's a bit of a hierarchy at Ineos. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not willing to change that hierarchy in real time, but it, at the start of the race, I think there's a bit of a hierarchy, right? I mean, you just sort of logistically you need that, right? If you've got if you've got three or four of those guys in a front group and one of them flats, they have to know who's giving the wheel to who. Right. They have to know those sort of things before they go in. So there has to be a bit of an internal hierarchy, even if externally it looks like they're all yep. leaders. Now, it'll be paper, scissors, stone at the side of the road. See, see who gets that wheel. Who, who's going to look after who? Paper, scissors, stone. But no, <laughs> but no what, you, what you've got to be really impressed at with Ineos is at the start of the year, uh, Dave Brailsford said on this podcast that he wants a team that's going to inspire, turn up to every race and race. And they've done exactly that this year. They've turned up to every race and lit the fuse, which they haven't done in other years. They've used a lot of races just as preparation. And you were thinking, ah, yeah, maybe they're not focusing so heavily on the tour this year. And then they do all that. And then they're still gone, throw everything at the tour. It just shows you the quality of that team and where that, 46 million euros is going i mean it's you know with, with that much talent you can you can light up any race that you show up at right and they have actually been doing that and we, we've said throughout this year that we're not entirely sure they're going to do that at the tour france but dane as you were saying i genuinely think that's their best option is to just light the touch paper as often as possible because you know there's it, there's a distinct possibility that late in the pyrenees we've got you know, eight riders in a front group and half of them are Ineos, right? And you have to take advantage of that. There's no, to do anything else, I think would be, would be foolish. You have to try at least to, to take advantage of those numbers uh, because otherwise 
you're going to lose to Pogacar or Roglic. One of the two is going to beat you. The, the chance of both of them having a number of bad days are, are extremely low. It's going to take a bit of, of tactical prowess and, and, you know, going for it. It's going to take a bit of, uh, bit of balls to, to get off the front and, and get some time and actually beat those two. Yeah. As strong as this team is, and as strong as they have looked in a number of the one week stage races so far this year, and, and we've seen Ineos just doing, you know, doing big things at races like the Volta Catalunya, where they finished on all three of the top spots on the podium, for instance, uh, a Dauphiné that are also great at the Dauphiné. But whenever they've kind of, whenever they've actually gone head to head against Roglic or, or Pogacar, it, it hasn't really been that close. I mean, Roglic and Pogacar are, they're kind of, they've been head and shoulders above the competition when they've raced this year. And I, I think the Ineos Grenadiers have to know that. And they have to know that when it really comes down to on these hard climbs, they can isolate these guys all they want. And yet they still need to gain time on them if they want to win the race. And that's probably not going to happen unless they get really aggressive. Uh, even if Roglic and Pogaccio are, are alone on these final climbs, I, I don't see them getting beaten by a conservative team, uh, you know, just taking, taking the race very conservatively and, and hoping to win in the time trials. Because, again, they're great time trialists as well. So they got to do something. They do. I'm getting excited for the Tour de France now. You getting excited for the Tour de France? I'm I'm stoked. It's gonna be great. I think that pretty much wraps up our little preview here, right? Uh, we're gonna talk Lacourse in just a minute. Before we do, the Cycling Tips Fantasy Competition of the large bicycle race around France. I don't think we can actually call it what it is for trademark reasons. The Big Bouquel. Yeah, yeah, the Grand Boucle. That is kicking off again. In fact, I think it is going live pretty much as we're recording this or slightly maybe in a couple hours couple changes to the way that we're doing this uh so those who have have done our fantasy competition in the past know that it was basically time-based now it's going to be based on points and not time which i think is going to make it pretty exciting it's still super simple just like it was before an incredibly simple way to do a fantasy league uh which for me i always appreciate I'm a simple man. You can create your own mini leagues. And if you really liked the time based fantasy, you can still use that within your mini league. That's worth noting. But the sort of broader competition will be points based. Dane, I know you were kind of working with the, the crew that was putting this together. Can you explain that in more detail? Yeah, sure. So basically, when, when you pick a rider uh, in the old system, you would just get his time on GC. Uh, and, and now we're, we've come up with a point system uh, similar to the way that the Tour de France assigns points, uh, actually quite similar to the way they used to assign points for prologues. Uh, and that is going to give you kind of your score over the course of the race. And that's going to keep it so that if you pick a rider who does not make the breakaway on a breakaway stage, you don't lose, you don't lose which is basically, <laughs> what we were, you know, we're, yeah, what we were facing before. So that we've changed things up a little bit uh, to make it so that everybody's going to kind of have the opportunity to to continue picking throughout the race without feeling like they're they're, they're you know, not not in things anymore. It kind of makes most stages roughly the same value, uh, whether it's a, a sprint stage or a high mountain stage or a breakaway stage. Uh, so that should I think that should make things pretty interesting. And I hope people will check it out. It's going to be super fun. I've already got mini leagues set up with a bunch of my friends, including a uh, we've got we've got some some high roller action with some of my friends. I think it's a $5 a day bet. 
that we've got internally. Is that legal? I don't know. Can I talk about that on the podcast? Anyway, <laughs> it's too late now. I've said it. We'll see how that goes. Head over to it's fantasy.cyclingtips.com. You can sign up for that. There'll also be just links and banners and stuff on the Cycling Tips homepage. It's going to be super fun. Get your friends together. Create a little mini league or compete with us. Anybody who beats Dane gets his job. That's how this works at the end of. <laughs> there were like 100 people that beat me in the Giro. So they all have to interview. So you have to interview all those people. Uh, no, you have to interview. And I know that will make you. No, not you have to hire your replacement. Yeah. That's how this works. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's even worse. I need to dig my own job grave. <laughs> Go check it out. It'll be super fun. Like I said, made a couple tweaks. Still super simple. Uh, super simple to, to sort of figure out and, and play fantasy.cyclingtips.com all right before we wrap up tour de france preview for today we have to make our little internal predictions now the, the purpose of this is that at the end of the race i'm going to write down what everyone says and at the end of the race we're going to see who's good at this and who's bad at this see if our predictions hold up now the the, the four just simple questions that we've asked everybody to uh, to answer here. Your podium, so the podium for each one of us. You pick pick your top three. Number two, which Ineos rider will finish highest on GC? So of the four, three, four GC contenders, which one will finish the highest on GC? What weird thing is going to happen in Poe? So for those who are unaware, Poe is where weird things happen at the Tour de France. Uh, I think it was my first tour that I was covering. I had dinner interrupted in Poe to go uh, hang on the fence of the Schleck's hotel and figure out what on earth was happening to Frank Schleck that day. All sorts of weird stuff happens in Poe. So what weird thing is going to happen in Poe? And finally, who will be the best Slovenian, which is kind of related to your podium, probably. But still, we're going we're gonna to put it down on paper. So... With that, Abby Mickey, your answers. Who's your podium? My podium is Garen Thomas, uh, Pogachar for second place. And third, you know, it's really a toss-up between Richie Port and Rigoberto Uran. My heart tells me Uran, but my brain tells me it's Port. This is a bold podium. That is an extremely bold podium, Abby. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Gotta keep it spicy. All right, so well, that, that answers your which Ineos rider will finish highest on GC. You think Garen Thomas will be up there. Right? And it also answers which Slovenian will be highest as well. So there I've we go. I've answered We've three got... questions in one. Look at you. Number three, though, <laughs> what weird thing is going to happen in Poe? The Movistar team is going to lose the team GC in Poe. What's going to cause that to happen? I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but that is what is going to happen. Well, they're close. They're close to Spain there, so I reckon a couple of them are going to nip home. Team HQ is probably only like a two-hour drive <laughs> from Po in Pamplona. They're going to nip mm. home, and um, no, actually, we won't go down the meat route, will we? No, they're going to nip home and probably fill up too much on the old tapas. Come back a little bit too chunky. Yeah, <laughs> or just like hit the sangria really hard and not be able to come to the start line drunk or something. Oh, cider in that region, ab cider. <laughs> All right, Dane, your podium. Yep. Uh, let's go with Roglic to top the podium. Let's go with Pagacar on the second step. And 
I'm torn between like four different Ineos riders on the third step. Ah, man. I guess Thomas. Ah, Rikarapas I like a lot, but I guess Thomas. So that's my podium. Roglic, Pogacar, Thomas. And that does kind of answer best Slovenian and best Ineos Skip rider. Skip those. What's the weird thing that's going to happen in Poe? Yeah. If somebody's going to leave, they might quit their team uh, because of un- unforeseen circumstances that we won't find out about for six months or never. Um, who that's going to be? I don't know. Why not Cav? We've had <laughs> enough drama with Cav going into the race, so why not Cav? You know, it's it's going to be... Uh, he, maybe there will have been some some hard days going in, and um, you know what? He just decides that's it, and he's going to leave to Koenig at the same time. Good guess. Good guess. James, your Pass. podium. Pass. James is passing. Pass. (laughs) Shadi, who's your podium? I've been struggling with this one, so I'm going to go down the old flip a coin route. But in third place, I'm going to do it backwards here. You always get, I want it to be one of them tours where something crazy happens where you go, oh, bloody hell, he's on the podium. So I'm going to go, I was either going to go Kelderman, Woods, or Gadu. But I'm going to go Woods in third place. Woods in third. <sighs> Second, it's going to be an Ineos rider. Would, let, me f- let me flip a coin. Woods in third would be seriously the coolest thing that would ever happen. And would I would never shut up about Woods getting third <laughs> at the Tour de France. He's got two awesome captains. He's got Froome, knows what he's doing. He's got uh, Greipel, knows who can look after him on the flat. Um there's no reason why he can't get at least in the top five, but yeah, let's have him in third place. Let's have him as a wild card. I chatted him. I chatted with him actually, and he's really, really confident. I, I there's a feature that I am writing that will hopefully be published before the tour. Otherwise, it's a little irrelevant. Irrelevant. He's super confident about the tour, which is pretty awesome. Dave, I don't want to derail you too much, but Abby, you should never say on the podcast that you've got a story coming because then you will create pressure for yourself to then write the <laughs> no, story. No, it's written. Now all of the thousands of people out there will know that it's coming. It's written. It's written. Anyway. Someone just has to edit it. And that someone is you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Second place is going to be an Ineos rider, and I'm going to flip a coin for this. Carapaz or Thomas. Carapaz heads. It's Carapaz in second place. <laughs> And then in third, first place, it's either Tej or Roglic. Who's it going to be? Who's going to have heads from Tej for heads? Yeah. Oh, yes, he's going to be in first place. And unfortunately, Roglic's going to somehow not do what he wanted to do and come in fourth. <laughs> so we got Pogacar, Carapaz, yeah. and Woods. Exactly. The crazy thing that's uh, going to happen in Poe. I reckon um, I did have, I had this one. Vanden Poel is going to be spotted out mountain biking in the Pyrenees. He's just going to got seriously bored, kicking around, <laughs> riding around France for three weeks. Off the front all the time. He's like, I've had enough of this. I just need to mix things up. He's going to pop out on his mountain bike. <laughs> and unfortunately, sprain his ankle but still oh. managed to get a, a lovely result going into Paris in his green jersey. So, oh, oh, there's a lot to unpack there. We'll leave that for after the, after the race. All right, my podium. I think, I think Roglic is going to do it. I think Pogacar at some point will have an issue. 
I think he's going to be off the podium. So we're going to get we're going to go Roglic. We're going to go Garrett Thomas. And third, I've just been struggling. I've been really struggling with who is going to do it. I'm going to go Wilco Kelderman. I think it's going to be a weird race. I think he's going to do it. I don't actually think he's going to do it, but I'm going to put him in third anyway. So there we go. We've got Roglic. We've got Thomas. We've got Kelderman. We'll see how wrong I am at the end of the race. Weird thing to happen in Poe. Uh, unfortunately, the entire... Which team should I have this apply to? The entire Kofidis team is going to go out for a lovely dinner in Poe and get food poisoning. And Shoddy Dave's favorite, Guillaume Martin, will unfortunately have to drop out of the race the following morning. Not all of them bad, Guillaume Martin. He's the one that's been sensible, stayed at home and have a sandwich, <laughs> in, his, sandwich in his room. <laughs> So it'll be down to two riders after the po after Poe. I think that's that's probably reasonable. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a right. Rip Guillaume Martin and his roommate didn't get didn't get the WhatsApp message to pop out for dinner, and they're like, "Where is everybody?" <laughs> Rock up the next day, and it's just same on the start line. That's a good adjustment on my on my prediction there. All right, so there we go. There's our predictions. Wait, before gonna... we finish the predictions, there was one prediction that you did not bring up that I think this is the perfect transition into it. Who's going to win the Mayo Sabla? And my pick Ooh. for the Mayo Sabla is Guillaume Martin. Oh, Sorry, Shadi. The Mayo Sabla, for those who don't remember, is the, the sand jersey uh, named after an hourglass that Rupert Guinness and I invented uh, at the Tour de France a couple of years ago. We were doing this podcast. It is for the rider closest to an hour behind. It's reverse prices rights. Price is right rules, meaning you do not qualify at 59 minutes and 59 seconds. The ultimate time would be exactly one hour or one hour and one second. So you must be over an hour to qualify. If you're under an hour, you do not qualify. Last year, of course, the Mayo Sabla was won by Nairo Quintana. Uh, how far he has fallen, or maybe maybe he wanted the Mayo Sabla. Maybe he wanted it more than the yellow jersey. That's entirely possible. Previously won by other big names. This is this. It's a difficult jersey to attain. Turns out an hour behind of the Tour de France is actually not that far behind. It's usually something around twentieth, eh, fifteen to twentieth ish is about an hour behind. And so, Abby, you're right. We need to make our predictions here. Who will be the Mile Sabla this year? Abby, you picked Guillaume Martin, right? Correct. I pick Guillaume Martin. Shotty Dave. Miles Sable is here. I'm going to go another French here, David Gadou. Hmm. He's going, to have a, he's going to have a good couple of stages, shine, and then crumble like many Frenchmen recently. Dane? Uh, Theo Gegenhardt is going to go from pink to sable in his uh, career Palmares. I'm going American. Sepp Kuss, Miles Sable. I think that's probably... If he's on a good, if he's on a good rate, I mean, he's not going to be given, you know, leadership. He's not going to be given freedom, but he's going to be there a lot. So I think that's probably a pretty good guess. Sepp Kuss for the Mile Sabla. And if so, uh, I've just recently moved to Sepp's hometown in Durango. So I'll see him and I'll hand it over to him in person. We'll get a Mile Sabla made up. That wraps up our quite long Tour de France preview. 
it is kind of long by necessity. It's a long bike race. And so that was even the short version, <laughs> I would say. Let's get to La Course, which is also this weekend. Abby, what do we have to look forward to? Hello. Yes, the Women's World Tour is back on after a month break with La Course by the Tour de France, which was originally slated for Sunday, the 27th. It was supposed to be on the Mer de Bretagne, but there was some like local elections or something going on that day. The men's race could go ahead, but the women's could not. So they moved it to the Saturday, the 26th, the first day of the men's race. And it's kind of a rolling course, 107 kilometers. So pretty short actually, um, with a little bit of an uphill kick to the finish. It's unclear right now who is actually going to be there. There's no start list or anything yet, but you can kind of assume that the big names will be there with only one more world tour race before the Olympics and a couple places that have not yet had their selections made. Um, there's a handful of riders also going to the Jira Rosa, but if you've listened to the Freeling podcast, you will know that it is not world tour this year. So, um, Anna Van Vluten, notably one of the top racers in the world will not be at the course because of the change of course, which is interesting. She's, she raced nationals, um, over the weekend and is taking now until the Olympics off of racing just to do altitude training and get ready. The reason she's skipping the Giro is because she doesn't want to get injured. Uh, she crashed last year at the Giro Rosa and going into the world championships. So she's avoiding that altogether by not racing the Giro and not racing the course, um, because the course change. I don't know if it's her like boycotting because of the, whatever the heck happened with the town elections and that the women's race had to be changed, but the men's didn't, or if just, she was like, well, that course sucks. So I'm not going to do it anyway. Moving on. Lizzie Dagnan will hopefully be there. She had a pretty rough spring, but just won the first ever women's tour to Swiss. It'll be interesting to see if she is on form again before the Olympics. She's definitely been very, very vocal about her ambitions at the Olympics. And Mariana Voss is another one who I think would be a really great rider for the course this year. It's a course that suits her. The finish suits her. And she's had some victories this year, but has not been, been seen in a minute. So that would be fascinating. And, uh, Demi Vollering is another one who would be, be really interesting for this course. So it's going to be great. Check out cyclingtips.com for a full preview ahead of the race. What a great website. And that's pretty much all I got. There will be a freewheeling later this week with a lot more in-depth discussion of La Course. And also we'll talk about some national championships because there was some interesting stuff that happened at the national. And you'll be on the ground. And I'll be on the ground. Hopefully I can hoodwink people to talk to me <laughs> yeah I, I should mention before we sort of move on here we, we will have a presence on the ground at the tour de france uh ronan and abby are headed there shortly i am flying over on the first rest day and will be on the ground through the end of the bike race so yeah we made the call that access will be decent enough it's worth us heading over there and we'll be podcasting from france again this year we missed that last year for obvious reasons. Uh, I'm very excited to head back over. And yeah, we'll have those daily episodes, Tour de France daily episodes starting on Friday. So 
the day before La Course, the day before the first day of the Tour de France. We'll be kicking those off this week. And it'll be most of this crew, plus some others we'll have, we'll have Ronan on, on, obviously. Jose Bean will be back with her little history lessons, plus occasional uh, sort of punditry. I'm really excited about the, the podcast this month. All right, that is it for Tour Preview. As I said, we'll be back on Friday with the first of our daily episodes. We'll be podcasting daily every single day from the Tour de France. We will have folks on the ground in France. We'll have some folks that are not on the ground in France, a combination of the two. I'm super excited about that. Before we get to today's Nerd Nugget, which is pretty brief, I believe, we've got another word from our sponsor. Rafa was born from a love of cycling. They celebrate the sport, revere its greatest riders, and endeavor to create cycling apparel as beautiful as the sport itself. As part of their commitment to further promote and grow women's cycling, Rafa has released capsule collections designed for and by women within the sport. The Laurentian Collection was created in collaboration with Canadian cyclocross star Magalie Rochette to celebrate her home in the mountains and her off-bike passion for beekeeping. That's kind of awesome. Rafa will soon release a collection created with Sarah Sturm and inspired by her unique no-finish-line approach to racing, collaborating with female athletes to bring collaborating with female athletes to bring to life their unique approaches to riding is a key component of Rafa's vision to elevate women in cycling. Following last year's Rafa X Outdoor Voices collection comes Nomad, taking inspiration from the 1976 bicentennial and celebrating this golden era of cycling through the lens of female adventure. Rafa also created a new Instagram account as a dedicated space for women in cycling. Follow at Rafa underscore women. That's at Rafa underscore women on Instagram. And thanks to Rafa for sponsoring today's episode. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. All right, James. What is our nerd nugget for today? It's not so much a nerd nugget as it is uh, a couple of requests. So first and foremost, I know Kaylee already mentioned that Ronan will be on the ground with us uh, to basically just kind of find whatever tech he can. But there is going to be some difficulty because apparently we are not allowed in the paddocks like we usually can be. Um, So my first request is to anyone out there, if is, you know, collectively, there are a lot more eyeballs out there than just what we have. Uh, so if you see any new and or interesting tech that you think we should dig into, please let me know. Uh, you can you can email me at tech at cyclingtips.com or james.huang at cyclingtips.com or I believe angryasian at cyclingtips.com also works too, and that might be the easiest to remember. Um, so that is my request number one uh, because Ronan is not going to be able to see everything, and I don't know how much of a long lens he has. So that could be a tricky thing too. Um, second request, I don't know if we have any pro race photographers listening to the podcast who will be at the tour, but uh, my personal request is as much as I love the head-on shots and like the, like the big panoramics and the landscapes and all this like racing action stuff, none of that does me any good because I can't see the damn bikes. So <laughs> pro photographers, I specifically request more side-on shots and even more specifically, I request more side-on shots where the bike is not cropped out of the damn photo. So yes, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure people are really excited to see the actual racers and what's going on there. I don't care. If you want, crop out the racer. Just crop out from like the saddle down. That works for me. So that is my specific <laughs> request. 
We'll send this as a text message to the Grubers as well. I think that's probably a, a decent idea. And Kristoff. I'll let Kristoff know. Yeah. All right. That's all so I there got. There you go. That's today's Nerd Nugget. Just two requests. If you see anything that, that you think we should see, if you got a tip for us, shoot it over. Tech at cyclingtips.com. AngryAsian at cyclingtips.com. Tweet at us at cyclingtips. We're easy to find. We're on the internet. We're all over the internet. Yelled loudly out the window. Yep. Send us a carrier pigeon, whatever you want to do. All right. That's it for the tour preview. Are we, are we stoked for the tour? Are we stoked? <laughs> <laughs> you sound so stoked, James. So stoked. I am super excited for the tour. I'm genuinely very, very excited for the Tour de France. It's happening in its, well, semi-normal time, a bit early this year. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to get back over there. I can't wait to cover it. I can't wait to watch it. It's the tour. It's the big show. All right. I can't get as ex- I can't get as excited as I normally do because I can't find in any of the news agents here the Panini sticker collection that they usually release. I don't know if they've done it this year. Oh, disappointing. Sad. They, they must have. They must have. All right. Well, that's it for us today. We'll be back. You don't have to wait a whole week. We'll be back on Friday, and then we'll be back every twenty-four hours. From then on for 23 or 24 days or however long it is. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be a wild ride for us here on the podcast. Make one every single day. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Do me a favor. Let a friend know that we're going to be doing daily podcasts. Tell them to subscribe. If you're not subscribed, do so right now. Thanks to our Velo Club members who make this sort of thing possible. And we'll see you on Friday. Bye, everybody. Bye.